Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Good morning again, everybody. So good to see you. How many glad you came to church? Come on, it's good. It's a good day. I just wanna, I just wanna affirm you who are here today, how much I so appreciate that you're missing the Broncos game for being at this second service. Listen, the Lord has a special, special reward for you in heaven. Some of you are like, oh man, I forgot, I'm out of here. Anyway, <laughs> may God give them favor today in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, um, after the service, super excited, we're doing baptisms today, and uh, we, we have 20 of them. We're gonna be celebrating and baptizing them as they make their public commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can join us, grateful the Lord's adding to our number. You know, today I kind of, I want to have a little bit of a family meeting today, a family chat. Uh, uh, I was going to say fireside, but we don't want that. So it's a family chat and talk about some things. One, baptism, that's great. We're celebrating everything that God's doing. Um, and, but I do have a couple things to cover that is just family oriented. Um, one of them is, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but today is uh, Wife Appreciation Day. Come on, let's give it up for the wives of, of faith. We're grateful for you. And also, I was reminded by my wife, um, the beginning, or sorry, Wednesday of last week was the beginning of a month-long Hispanic Heritage Month. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, my wife is Hispanic. And so since I just thought, let's just take a little family time today, and I started giggling because it's going to be funny. So um, a little family time today to talk about our wives, and for me to talk about my wife, and to talk about an Hispanic wife. I love my wife's family. Her mother is Hispanic, last name is Cisneros, she's like that little role. In, uh, and so I, I want to share some things that maybe you're unaware of about Hispanic culture. Now... Listen, I grew up in the Midwest, the very southern tip of Illinois on the border of Kentucky. I knew nothing about the Hispanic culture. And when I met my, when I saw my wife at Bible College in 1998, she had this beautiful complexion of her skin and dark eyebrows and dark hair. And I thought, so I asked, where in the world are you from? She goes, Arvada, Colorado. So I was like, whoa, okay. I didn't know. And so I just thought I'd just share with you. Do you guys mind? Can we just, I'll just share with you a couple things? Um, of what I have learned of the Hispanic culture on Wife Appreciation Day in the, in the beginning of Hispanic Culture Month. I know there's a lot of diversity in the Hispanic culture. And what I do know is it depends on where you grew up or the region where you're from. Determines a lot of the cultures that I have had, one of the, I've had the privilege of being a part of being married to my wife, but I learned this in the Hispanic family, that family is very, 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 very muy important. That was funny, I, anyway. What I also knew is this, that Hispanic family, you, you just don't know the grandparents. You know the grandparents Grandparents, you know the grandparents' siblings, you know the grandparents, you know everything about their life. You know all the cousins and you know where they live and you know what, who, what their name is and they all know each other. That was new to me. I didn't know that and I appreciated that. It was great. If you live out of town and you come back in town, um, that journey back in town consists of you better visit everybody in the family. And if you don't, there's going to be a problem. And I like that. It was wonderful. I also learned, which was first challenging to my, to my system, my Midwest system, um, I learned about green chili. Hallelujah. Yes, look, I'm, I'm talking to you about food at 1136. But I, I learned, I also this is what I learned. I learned that green chili, salsa, beans, and tortillas are totally normal to have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That was a new thing, I didn't know, I didn't know. Another thing I learned is that um, the tortilla is not just a food item, it's also a utensil. 
I don't know that you, you, you use it and you, you scoop it up and you move stuff around with it and, and, and you, you really know you've arrived when you know the, the correct head tilt when you're eating the Mexican food. I have a really dear friend, he's from San Antonio, and uh, he's full Hispanic culture, Mexican culture, we're great friends, we used to do worship and travel together. Um, when, he, when he came to my house, I remember he's sitting at the table, and my mom made Midwest food, and everybody, it didn't matter what it was, he just turned his head sideways and ate it, because he didn't even, he, he was using a fork, he didn't know, you didn't have to turn your head sideways, but anyway, it was great. And then I was making a mess trying to eat Mexican food because it's running. He's like, turn your head, bro. It helps. I'm like, okay, great. (laughs) I've also learned that uh, when it's time to leave family functions, you can't leave until you hug and sometimes even kiss all of the relatives. Don't you dare. Did you say goodbye? Did you say goodbye to this person? I was like, okay, I get it. So now I'm I'm going to walk around. We're going to say goodbye. But as you do that, you are always rewarded with a portion of green chili, a few of grandma's tortillas who were made, that were made with real lard. Thank you, Jesus. And sopapillas to take home. And I thank God for family. Don't you guys love family? Come on. I thank God for it. I'm so grateful they have, they have taken a white boy like me. And, uh, and now, family functions. Guess who makes the green chili? I do. That's how much I've arrived because I'm a green chili guy now. Okay, anyway. So that's just some family things. Another family thing I want to share with you besides the baptism and, and besides Wife Appreciation Day and Hispanic Month, Cultural Month, I also want to share with you, maybe, I don't know if you've heard or not, but Faith Christian Academy which is a ministry that's operated from us as a church, from Faith Bible Chapel, is being sued by Jefferson County Public Health, along with three other Christian schools in our county. And I just want to share with you, just some family, just we're here at family, I want to share with you our statement, and then we'll get into the message. But this is the statement that we have put together with our, with our lawyers and, and, uh, and, and our team, but I'll just read it to you. Jefferson County Public Health has initiated a lawsuit against Faith Bible Chapel International, which operates Faith Christian Academy. The allegations against FCA are demonstrably false. In particular, JCPH alleges FCA has not complied with the current public health orders, which is not true. It's not true. FCA has and will continue to comply with those orders, even though some experts believe they were not lawfully entered. This lawsuit is unfortunate for our community, especially during these already stressful times for families. We believe that the role of JCPH should be to help the public navigate health issues instead of using tax dollars to launch unfounded and baseless lawsuits against religious organizations who are committed to helping people and families. Just so you're aware. But I want you to know, please be assured that our legal team is on it. We have a great team here. God has blessed this church with great leaders on our lead team as we navigate these uh, interesting waters. But as we know this, that the Word of God promises that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things. Everybody say all things. And so we love God and we are called according to his purpose. That's why you hear me often talk, what is the church supposed to be? Not what I want it to be, not what is the church because we want to be called and do God's purposes. But I want to do something this morning before I get into the message that Jesus told us to do. It is radical because it's the different spirit than the world. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, you've heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way, now listen, and that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. In other words, he was saying, my people are different. My people are different. He also says this in Luke 6, but I tell you, you Hear me, listen to me. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So I want to take some time this morning and pray. We are continuing to do what we need to do. We're continuing to do what leaders do. As God has placed us in a place of protection and, and oversight for this, the church and the school. And we are leading and we are in it. And uh, we're just not doing whatever. We, listen, we are complying, but we are leaning into this. And I want you to be assured that we are doing something. And we are moving this forward and be praying for us. But as people of God, we're going to do something crazy. I mean crazy. We're going to pray for those who are suing us. All right? So if you can, just bow your heads with me. Father, this morning, um, first off, God, I ask you to examine our hearts. That we would not allow offense or bitterness to take root in our lives. Lord, we follow your example and your word. And we pray for those who falsely are accusing us. And we follow your example as you prayed for those who were crucifying you. And asked the Father to forgive them. That's, that's our example, God. So we ask you that you would give mercy to Jefferson County Public Health. Lord, we recognize this is a difficult time, Lord, for, for every arena in life, but also of the public services and sector. And we ask you today that you would strengthen and give them godly wisdom for the purpose to serve and to honor the people of this community God, I ask you today that if there's any area of their lives that has been impacted by Satan, our enemy, I pray that you will bring deliverance and freedom and peace to them. God, we pray that if anyone at Jefferson County Public Health does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would bring someone in their life to share the gospel that you would soften their hearts and that the seed of the word of God would land and they would receive salvation. God, I pray if any of them has experienced loss over the last couple years, God, that all of us have, that they would feel your comfort and they would feel the love from you today as we are praying for their hearts and their minds and their families. Father, we commit them to you. We commit this issue to you. And as always, Lord, we commit ourselves to you that you would use this for your purposes and for your glory. In Jesus' name, the church says, amen and amen. Hey, listen. Yeah, amen. I'm continuing the series on churchology, and the title of today's message is this, the church that just won't quit. And uh, this is kind of is where we are. And in these difficult seasons and times, it's easy to pick up anxiety. It's easy to pick up anger. What I've heard, I haven't experienced, but someone else has told me they have. It's easy to pick up a little hopelessness and helplessness and weariness and, oh, and we begin to lose heart. But I believe that God wants to encourage us today, you today, the church today, to be the church that just won't Quit no matter what. Now, there's a, there's a benefit to difficulty. I don't know if you're aware of this. A biblical benefit to difficulty. There's a benefit to confusing times that we feel the pressure and we feel the frustration. There's a benefit. And there are things that cannot and will not be developed in our lives unless we go through what the Bible calls trials. James 1 says this, consider it. James 1 verse 2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete. You may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So it is perseverance that is to finish the work that we may become mature, we may become complete, and we may not lack anything. Thank God for trials. Thank God for trials. How in the world can you learn perseverance unless you have to go through something that you have to pers persevere in? You cannot. 
And it is the gift to us because it's what puts maturity in us, what grows us up, and what allows God then to entrust us with more in our lives. But I, I, how James even opens this passage, I'm like, give me a break, James. Count it all joy. Joy? Joy is not what I connect with trials. I just don't. I'm like, oh, this is great. Nobody says that. But the joy is that we have an opportunity before us to grow, become mature, to become complete, and to lack nothing. And so we are not, just as a reminder, we are not in unprecedented times. We are not. This may be unprecedented for us. My, this is unprecedented for, for our, our nation or our county or whatever it may be. But the church has, has always faced trials and pressure and difficulties. And I want to encourage you today that the church that we are a part of, the church that has existed for over 2,000 years, is here because the church just would not quit no matter what. The church of Jesus Christ is still here. It's still kicking. It's still going forward. And it's not going anywhere because we will not quit. Do you agree? I, I, I want to remind you that the church over time has, in, has endured persecution. They've endured the Black Plague, the Spanish Flu, economic crashes, the Great Depression. They've endured war times. They've endured famines. They've, they've endured communism. They've endured political leaders who were after them. They've endured political leaders who loved them. They endured political systems that overreached in their lives. They, they endured it. They were misunderstood. They were marginalized. They were threatened. They were lied about. They were scattered. They were hunted down. They were, they were told they were menaces to society. The, the original word of atheist actually comes from Rome when the Roman gods believed in, they believed in many gods, but Christians believed in one God. So they were called atheists. In other words, they only believe in one God instead of all the other gods. They have been, we have been persecuted and pressure has been on the church. But the church would not quit because they persevered. They persevered gathering together, even if it had to be in secret. They persevered preaching the word of God, even if they were threatened with their lives. They persevered telling people about Jesus. They persevered feeding the hungry, even in their own poverty. They persevered at clothing the poor. Persevered at educating children with a Christian worldview. And when they were squeezed and everybody thought they were going to crumble, they popped out somebody somewhere else and kept going on because they were the church that would not quit. That's why we're here today. They just wouldn't quit. So from the moment followers of Jesus were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, the church has been unstoppable on the face of the planet, in the spiritual world and the natural world for the glory of God, for the cause of Christ. Through the church, families were restored. Lives were put back together. Hospital, hospitals were built. Orphanages, people started building orphanages. The, the percentage of those who adopt orphans around the world is astronomical of Christians versus other people. The gospel through the church has turned murderers into preachers and prostitutes into women of purity, thieves into givers, lustful men into protectors of women and the weak. The hungry were fed, the lame walked, the blind began to see, people and nations were transformed because the church would not quit, would not quit. And over our history, we've done, listen, the church has done things wrong. We can look back and be like, well, that was dumb. We know that. But there was always a remnant, always a group of people who continued to obey and honor the word, who continued to proclamate the gospel. And although the world began to hate them, just like it would Jesus, they wouldn't quit. They wouldn't quit. I tell you what, that's the church I want to be a part of. Don't you? 
I want you to be encouraged today. We come from a long line of non-quitters. A long line of said, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. We're going to adapt. We're going to move. We're going to do what we got. But I'm not quitting. I want us to learn from a couple of non-quitters this morning. Peter and John. I'm going to read through this account and, and just to encourage you today. Peter and John in this account. It was around 20 days after Jesus ascended to heaven. They were going to the temple. They were on, our way, on their way. And a, and a man who was really well known, he was a beggar. He was a, a, a cripple. His, his ankles, his legs were, were, did not develop. And so he was, he, he was not able to walk. And so he's begging for money. And Peter and John walked up to him and he said, listen, can you please give me some money? Peter and John, will you please give me some money? Now, this man was well-known. This man had been there for a long time. Peter says, listen, I don't have money. The reason why is because he's a preacher. So that's usually how that goes hand in hand. But anyway, we, we continue just joking. I don't have any money, but what I can give you is this. And I love this account. And we pick it up in Acts 3, verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet. He began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. This was a significant moment. Again, this man has, was very well known. This man had been there from birth. From birth, he'd been begging. And so everybody had known him. Everybody had seen him. Everybody knew this man. So Peter and John just keep on going to the temple, and the man comes with them. And he's like, I, can you believe this? Like, check this out all the way there. Hey, Peter, look, I can kick you with it. I can kick you with it. See, look, I mean, it's the, he's praising God. He's walking and leaping and like, <laughs> praise God. So they go into the temple. And Peter and John begin to preach. While they're preaching, guess who's standing there? This guy over here, he's still like, check this out. He said, you know, he's just having a great time. And they're preaching the gospel. They're telling them about Jesus. And this is causing quite a disturbance. A few people are upset and a large crowd gathers and the leaders of the temple who were responsible for, for manipulating the situation for Jesus to be crucified, come over, tell them to knock it off. Hey, you're disturbing things. You can't do it this way. We're gonna tell you what to do. And so they arrest them and they keep them overnight. And the next day they start to question them. They, ask, they start to ask about the man that was healed that they knew of. He was well known. They're like, first tell us this. And they ask this question out of Acts 4 verse 7. By what power or what name did you do this? Well, just like Peter, just because Peter's a, he's my kind of man. He's a, he's, he's, he's kind of, he's got an edge to him. And, and I like Peter. And I bet he was thinking, man, I, I can't wait till they want to talk to me. And so this is the question Peter was waiting on. Hey, tell me, how'd you do that? And Peter's like, well, I'm glad you asked. The man was healed by the name and the power of Jesus Christ. The one, verse 10 out of Acts 4 says, the one whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That one. In other words, the Jesus that you thought was powerless. Hey, re re remember when you thought the followers of Jesus were a nuisance to society. Remember when you thought the followers of Jesus were gonna, were gonna just, they're gonna just mess everything up. And you know, they're really a terrorist group is what they really are. Those are the ones. Remember, remember that, that the Jesus that we all follow, that you said was a lunatic and was a liar, you tried to shut up and you tried to kill and you put him in a grave and three days later he kicked that grave door open and you're still trying to figure out what in the world you're gonna do with your life. That one that you tried to kill, that's the one who healed this man. That's the one, Jesus. Here's Peter. Could have been easy for him to be, oh man, they threw me in jail. Man, I'm just gonna stop, I'm gonna stop. I'm going to stop doing this. It's too much pain. I'm, I'm, I'm not very comfortable. So here's Peter. He's standing before the same people who tried to kill Jesus. 
Not only did not not only did they go through with it, and Jesus was like, "Thank you, you were pawn in my hand for the salvation of the world," but it reveals their hearts. It helps us see today that man, these people are they there's there's something in their heart they hate. There's a there's an evilness. They they are restrictive. And so the trigger that threw them off about Jesus was that Jesus was the only way. That Jesus was preaching he was greater than Moses. Hey, don't you say that. You can't say that. Jesus was saying that I'm the son, the, the son of, of God the Father. Hey, no, we're all sons. No, Jesus said, no, no, I'm the, I'm the one and only, uniquely made from him. I've came to save the world. I've came, and they hated this because Jesus said, no one comes through the Father except through me, Jesus. That's the trigger word. That's what, you, that's what you don't want to say if you're in front of these type of people. Because that's what got Jesus in trouble. So Peter, knowing this, he says this in verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. What is up with Peter and John? What's their problem? Jesus, just two months ago, when he was arrested, what's very interesting is, I guess the question is, what happened to Peter? Because when he was arrested, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. He said, I don't know. He's freaked out. He's scared. He didn't do it once. He didn't do it twice. He did it three times. And Jesus told him he was going to do it. Two months ago, Peter was hiding from a little girl who says, hey, aren't you with, with Jesus? But now he's staring death in the face. He's staring persecution in the face. He's proclaiming Jesus is the only way. Before those are who crucified Jesus. And that man who was fully God has healed this man. So here's Peter, he's standing before them. Did Peter do this to pick a fight? What was his motivation? I, I like to think about these things. You know what his motivation was? <laughs> he's thinking, I'm preaching this because this man Jesus changed my life. He saved me. He removed the guilt and the shame and, and he gave me a reason to live. He gave me a reason to wake up in the morning. He called me, I was just an ordinary fisherman and he called me to follow him. And he told me I was gonna deny him and I denied him three times. And Peter knows that in those, and that sense of calling, sense of purpose, Peter knows. Why is Peter doing this? Because after he denied Jesus, he was fishing and he, he sees Jesus on the shore and he, and he swims to Jesus. And Jesus is sitting around a fire and the disciples come on up and Jesus is making breakfast for them. And Peter being grieved by his mistakes and failures Jesus looks him in the eyeballs and says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And he says, you know I love you. And then Jesus said, then Peter, feed my sheep, man. Jesus gave him a purpose. Peter's number one purpose is to feed the sheep with the word of God, with the message of, of the gospel. And he's committed to doing this. And Peter's thinking, listen, regardless of what happens to me, regardless of what you do to my body, regardless of what you, what you want to do, where you want to put me, how you want to restrict me, regardless, I will not stop preaching and doing what Jesus told me to do. He is a man that just won't quit. Peter's saying this, this message that I have is more important than my life, than my status, than my comfort, than my reputation. 
whether people like me or not, whether my, the citizens of Israel like me or not, or of, of Jerusalem, whether they like me or not, this message that I'm telling you is a message that has changed my life. And come hell or high water, I will not quit. I want to be like Peter. I want to be like Peter. Well, they didn't like that, as you can imagine. And this is what they said about Peter in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note at these men, that these men had been with Jesus. Something about their demeanor, how they lived their lives, their authority. They thought, well, who does this remind me of? Jesus. What is this? Their authority and kindness and love and boldness and the spirit that they, they're walking in that's different than, than, than ours. What does that remind me of? It's Jesus. They knew that they had been with Jesus. As a reminder that courage is always a byproduct of you spending time with Jesus. It always is. So now these men were trying to find words. What do I say? I, 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 gotta, I gotta find a way to disprove them. And then verse 14 says, but since they could see the man who was healed was standing right there with them, they had nothing they actually could say. They were speechless. So the leaders of the temple sent Peter and John out of the room. We gotta figure out what we're gonna do. They had a great idea. They called them back, verse 18. They said, Listen, we command you not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. That's a big problem. That, that's an issue. So listen, I want you to notice they didn't say we command you to, to, to not come here anymore. They didn't say we command you to do things our way or we're kicking you out of Judaism, which they had the power to do, or we're taking your home, which they had, they could have had the power to do that. Those are things that are important. They are important. I didn't say we're gonna take your rights away. Those are important. But listen, it's not the most important thing. Now listen to me. What happens is many Christians confuse the most important with the important things. And we just need to understand the most important thing of what we do and why we do is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the number one thing. Now these things in this arena of important that, that we say, listen, well, we, but, but we need freedoms so that we can proclaim the gospel. We need to do this so that we can be a resistance to evil in this age, which God's called us to do. We need to be a resistance in society for the sake of righteousness, absolutely 100%. But a reminder again, everything we do in this arena is to be done for the purpose of the most important thing, to make room for the most important thing. Do not confuse the important things with the most important thing. You guys received that today. So not, it's, it's natural that we would do that. But we need to understand that God's called us for the most important thing. Now, there are people who God calls who are right here and watching online. God's called you to be in an arena of politics, to be a resistance to evil, to stand up where no one else will. I, I get it. Listen, God's called all of us to be in different arenas, different purposes, different things. You should do it. It's, it's very important, but it's not the most important. And the reason why I keep saying that is this, whatever you do, whatever you choose, what, whatever, wherever arena God calls you to be in, you are doing it for the most important, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be used of God so that his gospel can continue to go forth. That's what we do. And so they said, don't preach the gospel anymore. Don't preach it. And they said, I'm sorry, verse 19, judge for yourself 
what is right in God's sight and sight to obey. Excuse me, let me see this again. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you instead of man. I just added this in there. We have made our choice. We cannot help ourselves from speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. It's the most important. But God has called us to get involved in the important things so that we can continue to do the most important things. Amen? So it's important. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We should, but we must keep the most important thing. Their lives were radically changed by Jesus. He told us to do it. And I'm sorry. I know that they're thinking, I'm sorry. I, like, I know you have the power to imprison me, to take my possessions, to harm my body. You can do that. But in order for you to stop me, what Peter and John, in order for you to stop me from telling people about Jesus, you're going to have to take my very breath because we belong to the king. We belong to the church. And the church has a calling. Regardless of what happens, we will never quit proclaiming the most important thing. And so they received more threats. And they were released to go back to meet with other believers and Christians. And they reported everything that the religious leaders had told them. Then after hearing the threats, they were, it's like us coming back here and, oh my gosh, this is what happened. I know this, this, this happened to me and this is, this is what happened to me. After hearing the threats and the what ifs, well, but, if, but if we don't and if we keep preaching, this is what's going to happen. They talked about how they were in danger. Fellow citizens were against them. These are the people that crucified Christ. These were not empty threats. They knew it. They were in a difficult time. There was pressure. And so they started to pray. They started to cry out to God. And if you were praying in this situation, what would you pray? And I want you to hear this prayer. I want you to think of, of, of our prayers in difficult times. I want you to think what you would pray or what are praying right now. What's your motivation for your prayers? And so this is how they prayed. Verse 24, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I want you to mark, they knew who the ruler was. They knew it was God who was their God. They knew that their God sat on the throne of heaven. They knew that God was actually working and doing something even though it didn't look like it, even though, even though they, they were uncomfortable. It goes on, verse 25, it says, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, your father David. Why do the nations rage and people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They, they're, they're understanding that there's always been pressure and persecution and the, the, the desire to limit what the church can do. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So they understood. But Jesus was their leader. And then they understood that God was in charge. And look what they say in verse 28. These, these leaders, Pontius Pilate and government leaders and, and society leaders, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You know what they're saying? God, there are things you're doing that we don't actually know. What we do know is that you're on the throne, that you're leading us and you're guiding us, that actually they, the Pontius Pilate and Herod, they thought that they were the, the, the architects of their own life. Actually, they were, they were a puppet in the hands of the mighty God to accomplish the work and salvation for the millions and billions around the world. They did it. God used evil men to fulfill God's purpose. This didn't surprise you, God. We trust you completely with our lives, with our ministry. With, with God, what you called us to do with our church, with our provision. And after they prayed, it's this beautiful story about the faithfulness of God. 
Their confidence begins to pour out. They put God in his rightful place. You're number one. You're a leader. We follow you. You're in charge. I don't understand. This isn't good. Peter and John still smell like the prison. We didn't like that. But hang on, God. We know you're in charge. And so they move their prayers into requests that are filled with confidence. Now listen, catch me. This is, this is one of my, the main things I want you to catch today. In times of pressure, we think, we know what God wants. Because what, surely what God wants is for me to not feel uncomfortable. The prayers that move the heart of God are not prayers that are, that are around me, the comfort of me, all about me. The prayers that move the heart of God are prayers that are concerned with the will of God. The will of God. The purposes of God. That's what matters. They knew that all of this stuff was going on. They knew that it was happening I want to just bring you back to the beginning of the story. Peter and John walking through the gate beautiful where this crippled man was on their way to the temple. I want you to take note and ask your question. Ask this question. How many times Jesus walked by that crippled man? He had been there from birth. It was only two months since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended. It's only been two months so this was not a kid, wasn't a man, wasn't a, a two-month-old. This was a man. This is, the, this is the pathway. You walk to the temple. They, people go in and out. All the, it was a primo spot because everyone went that way. How many times did Jesus walk by him? He'd been, he'd been there his whole life. Why didn't Jesus heal him? I'll tell you why. I believe it's about a the bigger plan that God was doing. That crippled man had no idea that the Messiah was going to heal him. He had no idea that the Messiah was going to use his life to bring thousands of people to the Lord Jesus Christ. This man had no idea that God would use him to confirm the gospel at a later time. So many times when we go to pray, we think, I'm uncomfortable. This man, why didn't Jesus say, hey, listen, be healed. Because God had a bigger plan. God had something greater. God sees the end from the beginning. God's the one that knows all things. He's the one that, that knows that even in our, in our, in our frustration, in our, in our tensions, in our trials, in our pressures, in our that's not fair, we want God to deliver us from our uncomfortableness. But have you ever come above the situation and said, wait a minute, God, I believe there's a bigger plan. I believe your thoughts are higher than mine. I believe, I believe that, that what you're doing is actually greater than even what I think you should do. That's what a church that doesn't quit believes. I don't understand why things are happening, but what I do know is my God's on the throne. What I do know is that God's still working. And so many times we, we think that delays in our prayers are denials, but they are not. They are a setup for God to do a greater thing with our lives, with our church, than we've ever experienced before. We must remember that. Do we pray for things? Yes. Do we stand? Yes. We're not, we just don't let, you know, things just do whatever they want, whatever you want us to do. We'll, no, 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 hang on, hang on. No, we resist, we stand, we become a resistance to evil. We do all of that. But in all of that, no matter what happens, we know if, if, if our comfort is not met, if we are uncomfortable and God doesn't answer our prayers and our uncomfortableness, he's on the throne. I trust him. He's doing something. You must anchor your confidence to the goodness of God that from the foundations of the earth, he had a master plan and he's working his plan. And his plan is that all would be saved, all would be found. And I believe he wants to use us in this season. We just got to look for it and pray for his will in it.
And so they prayed like this in pressure. This is what they prayed. Lord, now consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And so there's threats. They didn't pray about the threats. They prayed about that we would do what you called us to do. We would be like, Lord, consider their threats and take a hammer and smash them to pieces. Because surely that's what God wants, is for me to be comfortable. But God's like, do you want to be comfortable? Or do you want to be used by me? Do, do, crippled man, I can hear you now. But if you'll just wait two months, I'm going to use you to bring thousands to know me. If I knew that, what would you choose? Lord, give me the thousands. Use my, my puny little life, my brokenness, me as a man for you, I will wait. And so when God doesn't answer, I think because he's doing something better. Amen. Listen, your, your delays are not God's denials. And so the church continued. And they prayed on in verse 30, stretch out your hand, heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. And they spoke boldly. Do you know why their, their building began to shake and they were filled with boldness? Because their prayers were based on the will of God, not their comfort. God's looking for a people who is willing to be uncomfortable for the purpose of them being a part of a great harvest. He's looking for a people. And the church that, that God uses is a church that doesn't quit. We're not, we're not thrown about by, oh, this is a, listen, I, I'm not saying they are not important. And we need to do what God's called us to do. Stand strong. They are, they are very important, but it's not the most important. God's will is at work in our midst, friends. And you must believe it as they did. They had one purpose in mind. The mission of Jesus and the will of God and his purpose in their lives. They were anchored on what, what Jesus told his disciples before he made his way to Jerusalem. They were fully aware of what Jesus spoke to them that we, I shared with you the beginning of this series, Matthew 16. They knew that Jesus wasn't a liar when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They knew that. Friends, do you know that? Do you know that? God's calling us in these times. <laughs> Listen, God is in control. We just, we keep doing what he's called us to do. We will never stop. We will never quit. We'll never stop serving this community. We'll never stop preaching the gospel. We'll never stop feeding the poor. We'll never stop reaching nations who haven't heard. We'll never, I don't care how much pressure or how much things come in on us or how much, we'll, we're never gonna stop praying for our community leaders even when they sue us. We're never gonna stop. And we're gonna ask God, we're gonna work. We're gonna, we're, we're, listen, we're not, we're, our number one purpose is the gospel. Reaching the lost, serving those, and seeking the will of God and, the, and the, the, the prosperity of the city he's placed us in. That's what we're after. And we're going to keep honoring and we're going to keep doing our, we are going to do our best. We're still going to stand. We're still going to be strong. We're still going to, we're still going to follow the leading of the Lord. We're still going to be the people who, who resist things and then say, you know what? I, I, I'm uncomfortable. Yes, we are, but God's doing something. And we're going to do it under the confines and the, under the authority of the Word of God. We're not going to base our Christianity off of my comfort. We're going to base it off of the will and the purposes of God. And that's the church God wants to use. That's the church. If you can, let's all stand to our feet. If you want to be that church, come on. Let's give the Lord a hand today. Amen.
Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you to ask the question today. God, what do you want me to do? I would encourage you, make a commitment today before you start praying about stuff that you're uncomfortable with, which is a lot. I get it. First ask this, Lord, what is your will in this matter? God, I can't see what you're doing, but if you're doing something greater than this matter, I want to be part of that. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And if you pray, pray prayers like that, God's going to use you. God's going to transform you. God's going to promote you. God's going to give you more, more leadership. And if you all of a sudden you, get a, you lose your job because you were acting out of your conviction, and you think, Lord, where are you? Hey, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. The delay of your prayer is not a denial. It's a setup for God to do something greater than you ever thought. You need to believe it. Hang in there. Don't quit. Amen? Don't quit. Let's stay in the game, faithful to one another, faithful to what God says in his word, faithful to walk out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And let's watch him do something great in our midst. If you could just bow your heads today. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, today we make a commitment that we are going to ask the question, what are you doing in this matter? And then we're going to follow you. God, regardless, we make the commitment today of what happens, we're not going to quit the most important thing. We're not going to sell out the most important thing for important things. We're going to invest and do what you've called us to do in the important things for the purpose of the most important thing. And God, each one of us is called differently to be in different arenas, to stand for those things, whether it is in government, whether it is in our families, whether it is in our community, whether it is on a police force, whether it is in politics, whether it is in health departments. God, whatever you're calling us to do, God, we make a commitment today as a teacher, as a construction worker, as a Starbucks worker, that everything I do is for the purpose of the will of God. And that God, when we go through suffering, when we deal with things that don't seem fair, when people lie about us, Lord, we thank you. Because you said, blessed are those who are followers of Jesus when false things are said about them on account of me. Then Lord, we receive that blessing. We walk in that blessing. And we make the commitment today that everything we do is gonna be with the heart and mind. God, what is your will in this matter? Lord, forgive us for asking about comfort before we ask about your will. But Lord, we thank you that in this, we're gonna live the life we actually dreamt of living. We're gonna live the life of the church we read of old that you used to bring forth thousands of people into your kingdom. We say yes to your purpose and to your call. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. Can we give the